Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who have great personalities. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. On today's show, we're talking about build order. And that's it. So we're actually going to dedicate a quick show here to one specific question. And occasionally, uh, we were talking about this previously, we get we get so many emails and some are quick hit answers that we can do. Some are more big picture questions that have us really scratching our head like, hmm, I wonder what I would do for that. And, and this is an opportunity for us to really just talk about that one particular thing, expand on it, share our experiences, and uh, hopefully entertain and, and give you guys some information you could do something with. Uh, so today's question actually came from Sam, and he said very simply, what method do each of you use to figure out build order? And and build order is one of those things that, well, first of all, it's, it's got to vary from one person to the next, and certainly from project to project. So, I mean, do you guys have any hard and fast rules that you utilize in terms of build order, or do you kind of approach it as, as uh, on a per project basis? Well, um, I think I try to prolong the glue up as long as I can. Cause that's like no going back, <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. if you suddenly realize, Oh, I need to be able to get that flat on the bench to do something and don't, I've already glued it up. And that comes from <clears throat> experience <laughs> from accidentally gluing things together and like having to, 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 to plane a board that's at a right angle. Yeah, it's a little, um, a little harder to fix afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> right. So just as, as a, a rule of thumb, you know, I, everything I build is, is kind of, let's not worry about gluing it up or jaw boring it or pegging or any of that stuff until the absolute, um, last minute, I suppose. Now see what's, I don't know if this is, maybe we're looking at it in two different ways, but I tend to, um, do things a little bit like the opposite. I want things to be, uh, assembled as fast as possible or as soon as possible um, just to eliminate movement issues. So if I can get like, I don't want a panel to sit around for very long before it's incorporated into the rest of the project because then I'm trying to clamp out a bow that right. had I assembled sooner, it wouldn't have been a problem. Um, but this is a perfect example. Like right away, 
there's something that we kind of look at a little bit differently and neither one's necessarily wrong. It's just our personal preference with our experience. It, I'm, I'm very much in the same camp as you, Mark. I, I do. The, the, in fact, I kind of wrote down my notes a little bit on this because I, as much as I like to think that I have a set order, it does vary from project to project. But one thing that stays consistent is oftentimes if I have any type of big glue up, so let's say a tabletop or maybe some drawers, I need to glue a few pieces together for that. I too like to kind of get those rough dimensioned and then at least get those start to glue up so that it's taken care of because I hate having like those stacks sitting around and waiting for them to just start warping my warping on me. So right. yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll try and get those things put together. Uh, oftentimes, in fact, one thing I do like to do when I start building is I like to get the big pieces out of the way first. So again, this would be like, say, for the example of like a dresser, I like to get the sides, the top, again, the, maybe the drawer fronts taken care of. And sure, they might sit around for a little bit longer, especially the drawers. Yeah. Because when it comes to, <clears throat> I don't know about either of you, but when it comes to like a uh, really complicated piece, which to me, a dresser would be a complicated piece. You have a lot of moving parts in there, mm-hmm. regardless of whether you're doing, say, drawer slides or it's just going to be a friction fit or something. Uh, the components like the drawers, they, they tend to be like one of the last things I do, especially the drawer boxes. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes it has a lot to do with like relative dimensioning because we could easily maybe, maybe we do want to head in this direction, kind of splinter off. I know one topic that comes up quite a bit is, do you need a shop list or a, a chop list or anything? I mean, do you have to have a cut list there to look at and build off of, or do you kind of wing it from there as, you, as you're going through this whole entire thing? Well, I think cut lists and Shannon, I know you're going to have something to say about this. Cut lists <laughs> can be dangerous because a lot of times, like at least when I first started doing woodworking and I guess I would put myself into maybe like a year after I really got into this stuff. As I started to get in my mind better, one of the things that I was striving to do was, all right, I'm going to lay out all my stuff ahead of time. So I see my cut list, I'm going to cut my parts, and even if I don't use them for a little while, this totally goes against the way I do things now, I'm going to leave it on the side, but I'm going to mill everything and batch it all out in one shot. And Mm -hmm. that turned out to be a really bad idea. And, and the problem is that those boards can and will move. And a lot of times, you just mentioned relative dimensioning. If you do that, you don't have the opportunity to resize parts and finesse a fit in case things aren't exactly as they are listed in the cut list or in the plan. Chances right. are you're never going to cut those things absolutely perfect. So although a cut list has its place... The problem with a cut list is it kind of falsely gives you a security that, okay, I know I cut everything to these sizes, my project will go together, and it's just not true. So I think the further you get away from that cut list, um, the better, honestly. And Shannon, I know you've got something to say about this too. (laughs) Well, I think um, anybody who's used a cut list has done so, you know, once. (laughs) <laughs> and then it's like you've got some horror story that something didn't work or something didn't line up. And yeah. if you're lucky, it's just a matter of taking more wood off. But, mm-hmm. you know, Murphy's Law says that it's never it's never that. It's always the board's too short. So it always, it always fascinates me that this whole cut list idea has perpetuated as long as it has. Um, because it just seems like anybody who is rigid to it ends up screwing themselves in the mm-hmm. long run. Yeah. Um, I... But but at the same time, and as all three of us, as we do projects and we publish projects out on the interwebs, people who want to build it, you know, the first thing they say is, I need, I need a cut list. And I wonder nowadays if it's more of a kind of a, a, a term that people just use and what they really mean is maybe a parts list. And that's what I've kind of, at least with my, um, my hand tool school projects, I've taken it 
I've made a very strong point to say this is a parts list. Mm-hmm. And I'll put like the little asterisks down at the bottom and say all these sizes are approximate. You know, this just gives you an idea. So you can take that parts list and you can, if necessary, go to the lumber yard with it and you get an idea of, of kind of what you need. My issue is I just every time I try to narrow something down onto a specific size, it changes on me. Um, whether it's by a piece moving or me changing my mind like midway through the project, like changing the design, which is actually probably the most common thing. And if that cut list is entirely dependent upon everything else and you change one part, I mean, it's useless at that point. So mm-hmm. why bother in the first place, in my opinion? <laughs> yeah. um, it, it's one of those things where, uh, and from my perspective, working entirely by hand, I have no idea how thick the piece is going to be. It's, it's as little amount of planning that I have to do to get it, you know, S4S. Right. And that board, say that one case side, I'm building a, you know, a bookshelf, nice and easy. Um, one side is, is 15, 16 thick. The other side is seven eighths thick. You know, you can't tell the difference, especially, you know, on either side of the bookcase. But then all of a sudden, if you're thinking, okay, well, all of my shelves need to be, you know, X long. Well, suddenly you've got a little gap in your dado. Um, on one side because one uh, bookshelf side is actually a little bit thinner, but yet you cut all your dados to the same thickness and it just, it ends up being a major, major problem. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, it's just not worth it (laughs) in my opinion. Well, I mean, they certainly can be helpful for reference at times, you know, so it's like, Oh, maybe even just material estimation, or maybe you're doing a particular setup that requires multiple parts and you're curious how many of the parts in this project would require the same setup so that I can make sure they're all identical. I mean, in those cases, it is nice to have it there for reference, uh, but ultimately these are also things that you could determine like on the fly as you go. Uh, If you're familiar with the project, you should be able to point out which parts are going to receive the same sort of treatment. Well, and I think that goes back to this build order question. Um, and that may be one of the steps in the order is kind of building that parts list because in my in my experience anyway, as I'm creating that parts list, I'm kind of building the project in my mind and mm-hmm. I'm going, okay, well, you know, back to this bookshelf idea, it doesn't make sense to fit, you know, one shelf at a time. Mm-hmm. You know, if I've got, if I'm, however you're going to do it with a router or a handsaw or in chisels or whatever, if you're going to be cutting those dados for the shelf, the most accurate way to do it is laying out those dados all at the exact same time, preferably with the two case sides like clamped together or even as one board. Yeah. You know, say you're making it out of plywood, you have that flexibility to leave it as one sheet, cut all the dados, and then rip it down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that's where I kind of work through those, um, for lack of a better term, efficiencies. And you realize, you know, I don't really, I need to make sure that I cut these now and then rip it later. And and that's where that parts list really helps me more than anything else. Yeah. Well, let me ask both of you this, because I know one question or maybe one thing that listeners might be thinking about is the three of us, Shannon, you and I have more of a, a similar size shop, but even with Mark, with you having a little bit larger sh- uh, shop, we still have to think about as we're making these pieces, as we're having these components come out, space is still regardless. That That is something that we have to think about. So yeah, when you go to build a project, where where's where do you usually start with? I mean, you I think we already mentioned before, like, you know, the the whole idea some people will go through and mill absolutely everything at once and then have it sitting around. But do you have like a real starting point? Like for like I said, 
uh, earlier on. For me, the big thing is I like to get those big components out of the way and then have those kind of sitting. And then oftentimes, say, again, using the example of a dresser, the interior components, I oftentimes will leave those rough until I'm absolutely ready to start moving on to those things. And again, it has a lot to do, for me at least, with the, the space, the lack of space, because the last thing I want to do is say the the entire project's going to take 25 board feet of wood. Well, 25 board feet of wood could actually be a decent amount of space being eaten up in my shop. <laughs> and now uh, if I have all these components sitting someplace and I want to make sure that they're getting proper air circulation and I don't want them to have anything spilled on them or accidentally grab the wrong one and start cutting it, um, then I have to start like trying to find an alternative place to put it. Um, so, I mean, how do you guys wrestle with something like that with, you know, getting these components out there? Well, for, you- for me, it's, it's a factor of time. Obviously space is not that big of a deal for me. I don't have to like set up things like for someone who's got to roll out a jointer or maybe you have a, a combination machines and it's kind of a pain to go from one operation to another. There's more for that person to think about than I have to. But for me, it's a time factor. If I'm building a project and I know that, okay, if I cut these parts, they'll be sitting around for another week because I won't be able to get to them for a week. Then right. I just won't do it. But if if I know that this one, like tomorrow, I'll be working on that, then I probably will just go ahead and batch those out just to get it done. Um, so for me, it's more of a factor of how soon can I get to that other part? And that's when I say this big batch of things can be done together. Right. For me, it comes down to heart rate. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I play in one board and then I need to take a nap. So <laughs> yeah. generally it's, it's peace. Alex, piece move over. Piece. Daddy needs to lay down. <laughs> uh, I've thought about that a couple times. But I also wonder that might be kind of this difference back to our original point where I like to kind of put glue offs until the end. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really working piece by piece by piece. And um, that's also not to say that I don't leave it in a stack of boards. You know, if I've done all the pieces for, say, a carcass, I will dry fit it together and leave it together. Yeah. Um, because my joinery is just that tight. I, you know, it doesn't really, it won't move on me. So just got to throw that in there. Um, but, well, there was Mark's subtle brag earlier. Well, I don't have to worry about space. Well, that, that's like, that's a brag because I, I bought a shop. You're bragging about your skill. It's a, it's a little yeah, bit of a difference well, there. That's true. Neither one of them is things you can buy. You yeah, can't buy skill, Mark. Neither one of those is admirable to brag about. Anyway, <laughs> but we, anyway, I think that's that's the the difference is because back when back in the day when I was a power tool guy, it was a I had to move my stuff in and out. You yeah. know, the joiner had to be moved out away from the wall. The table saw had to be moved out away from the wall. So it was kind of everything that needed to be done with the table saw. Do it right now. Um, and everything needed to be done. So I would try to mill everything at once with the exception of, like Matt said, maybe the moving parts. Like you build the the, the dresser first and I leave the drawers until later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that I work really by hand, there is no moving stuff around. It's just on the bench. Right. So I can kind of move from one thing to another and it doesn't slow me down because I'm not having to do any setups or anything like that. All right. Well, let's, if we can kind of go around, we'll each talk a little bit about this because I'm curious to hear how the two of you approach this new project. Doesn't matter what it is, but I want to hear your methodology from, you know, overview, start to finish on how you, how you approach this. Because the bottom line is every project is different. I think we can, that's why right now we haven't even necessarily given any super practical 
advice that someone can necessarily use <laughs> right. be- because it's very difficult. Like the only way to, to teach someone build order is to use a project as an example and then justify why you would do things in that order. Otherwise, we're just going to have to talk in generalities. So right. so when you get a new project, what do you do? And, and I'll, I'll go first here. Typically, I want an outline if I can. And I'm going to sit down and a lot of that initial prep especially in the beginning, like nowadays, I honestly don't really think about it very much. I go into the shop, I have the outline, but it's in my head and I kind of just know where I'm going to go. But there are times when I film that it's, it's nice to have an outline too. So that exercise of producing an outline to show which steps are going to happen when you can go through that thought process while you're looking at the plan or looking at the drawings and you're sitting in the air conditioned house, you don't have to be out in the shop to do this and you can plan during that outline process is probably where you're going to do most of your decision-making in terms of what happens when. And then you could look at this list of steps that needs to happen and decide, can you batch these things together? Can, if this is going to be the thing that will take place the day after, can I just lump that into the milling that I'm doing the day before? Um, It will also help you, you know, just make decisions about things that are like joinery and stuff like that. You'll be able to do all that as well. Um, And I can give an example here. I was working with, you guys know Marilyn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was working with her and helping her with a desk project. This is not a project that I would normally myself build. It was uh, something from Fine Woodworking. Excuse me. And they're you know they make great articles, but in the context of an article, it's very difficult to really convey the real details like of true build order. They just kind of highlight the the parts of the project. So she was having trouble like what do I build first? Like this frame and panel side and then it was a desk. Um, Do I then have that as a sub assembly then glue it to this? So we had to really hash it out. And, you know, I'm not afraid to admit it was a challenge to figure out what, especially because I didn't design it. um, So I'm not as familiar with this person's logic, but you sometimes do have to figure out what is the logic behind it. And if you sit down, even if you've got that plan and you make your own outline, a lot of times that outline is going to reveal a lot of what you you should do to get this project to work. And for me, it's kind of an outside-in sort of thing in most cases. Um, Matt, I'll use your example for the chest of drawers. A lot of times I would much rather see that case come together and then put everything into the case. So I may oh, start, yeah. you know, I would start yeah. with my sides, my top my bottom and then do the joinery and then I'd fit the shelves or the, the dust frames into the space. And I would take a measurement from the case when it's dry assembled and then cut that dust frame to fit. So for me, it's kind of an outside in kind of build methodology. And then just really, once you start to build something, that something creates a restriction for the next part. And then that's how you decide your, your order. It's based on for me outside in and then restrictions that arise as you go. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Who's next? I, I got to say, I mean, an outline, definitely. And I think especially now that I film pretty much everything, it's kind of imperative or you just get me rambling in front of a camera all day long. Mm-hmm. But SketchUp has been huge for uh, me. Good point. Um, and I I build in SketchUp and I'm not, I'm not the guy that plugs in all the joinery. Guys like Aaron Marshall just knock my socks off that, that, not only that he does all that detail, but how quickly he can do it. Yeah. Uh, I suppose if I worked as fast as Aaron, I might do it just for the heck of it. I don't even um, know that Aaron would do it for himself. I know he does it for the guild projects because I ask him to. Right. <laughs> and because he's skilled enough to do it. But I'm not even sure if Aaron were building a project for himself, if he would even bother detailing to the level that he does for our plans. But there, you know, there are people out there. Oh, you yeah. know, there are like the guy, what's the guy that works for um, fine woodworking? 
Killen, Tim Killen or something like that, who does their, their kind of sketch up blog. Mm-hmm. He'll model anything. <laughs> um, and I think it's, I actually wrote a blog post about this a while ago. SketchUp is like the woodworking video game <laughs> because it's, it's woodworking you can do like while you're in your cubicle. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like, not, it's non consequential. <laughs> right. But so I know a lot of folks who, who build in SketchUp, like you just talked about, Mark, say you're building that chest of drawers, they'll make like one big box. Yeah. And then kind of start subtracting stuff from it. I build in SketchUp the way I build in the shop. Like I, I make a board, <laughs> you know, if, if I'm doing a face frame or whatever, I'll actually create that, that style and then I'll create the rail and I'll bump them together and, and start building it up piece by piece. And that really helps me yeah. um, figure out, okay, this is what needs to happen first. And in my mind, I'm always thinking of where can I, frankly, where can I cut corners? Where can I um, not not have to worry about um, ripping it to exact length because I'm just going to take that measurement off something that's already assembled? Mm-hmm. And anytime I'm working in SketchUp where you know, you've got something like a, a component already built and all you do is kind of trace that component and then push-pull and there, there it's connected, that's one of those moments when I realize, ooh, this is a piece that, that needs to be built second or third yeah. because it will be dimensioned entirely off of what is already built. And SketchUp really highlights that for me. Yeah, good point. Very good yeah, definitely. point. How about you, Matt? Um, very similar to what you were describing, although I think I might work more like uh, inside out because one thing I, I definitely I, – I will do the thing where I'll sit down and I will – kind of create that mental outline of how I'm going to tackle it first, almost like the game plan. Like I am just going to go in there and I'm going to take this to town and I'm going to teach this wood a lesson. Uh, <laughs> but you know, the, the, then to get more, more technical about it, more detail about it. One thing I will do for sure. And again, this kind of has a lot to do with my, my shop space is uh, I will start to mill my components. But again, like I mentioned, I won't go to like the things like the drawer boxes or stuff like that. I will mill the the biggest components i'm most concerned about so in the case of like the chest of drawers i'll do the the sides the tops the the drawer front something like that and then also prepare the wood for like the sub assemblies so like the drawer frames uh anything that i'm going to need to actually kind of create the skeleton for the chest of drawers and one reason why i like to mill all of that at once is uh well one it's kind of nice just to get it done and over with so i have it ready to go but then on top of it my dustbin will fill up awful fast so i can get that out of the way so i'm not slowed down for when i start moving on to anything else Mm -hmm. and then oftentimes what i'll do from there is once i have those things all milled then i'll head into actually getting to the finished dimension so either my table saw or i decide i'm gonna do it on my bandsaw or something whatever tool i'm gonna use i will then kind of gang things up on there to get that all uh dimensioned excuse me i'm getting all choked up about this very Uh, emotional i just love my my work order um anyway so i'll do something like that and then Oftentimes, as I mentioned before, the, the big pieces, like, again, the, the top and uh, the sides, I'll then start gluing those up. And while those are gluing, this is often when I will start turning to those sub-assemblies to start getting them put together, start doing a little bit of the joinery, figuring out what joinery I want to do with this. Mm-hmm. And then oftentimes, by the, the time I have those kind of set up and ready to go, I have an idea of my game plan on those, too. Um, then usually the the bigger ones are – the, the glue's dried, and I can start – if I need to add add joinery to them to be able to attach the sub assemblies, then I can actually go to that. So it's like one of those. I try to get myself to the point where I'm I'm creating components so that the next component I'm creating, because I'm going to attach it to that first one, it's it's all ready to go. I give myself that adequate time to have figured out like is this joinery 
going to actually work? Because how many times in this whole entire work order strategy kind of do you end up kind of deciding at the last minute, like, you know, this joinery is just not working for me. This is <laughs> this is absolutely I definitely was biting off way more than I could chew or you know what? I really don't like the way this is going to look the more I have a chance to have these components come together. So having that little gap time in there while I'm waiting for one to, to glue up or mm-hmm. or while I'm starting to work on another one, it actually gives me a chance to maybe tweak the design as necessary. Right, right, right. All right, well, let's uh, let's wrap this up. I think we can all agree that there's really no one right way to do this sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> you can but, so sorry, Sam, we awesome. confused you even more. But yeah, ultimately, each project does need to be evaluated for its own, you know, its own logical series of steps. And even if there is no run, one right way, once you pick a path, there does tend to be some logic in that path. Like if someone said, all right, you're going to build this. And even though it's not the part that I would normally start with, they say you have to start with this part just as an exercise. Well, I could probably start from there and figure out a logical progression to get to the finish, even if it's not the original way I would have done it. So, so there's a lot of different ways to do it, but each time you go down a different, uh, a different path, Uh, on the forked road here, it it probably does have some sort of logical progression. That's something I think that experience brings. And the more you build, the more projects you get under your belt, even if you're just following a plan word for word, you will start to speak the language of construction and you'll understand what, why you would do something first, second, third, whatever. Um, But it really does come down to one of those experience things. Well, let me ask you this. Let me just throw maybe this one little idea out there. Uh, Oftentimes, as as a hobbyist, I mean, I I definitely I enjoy the build more than I do the finish portion of it. I mean, I, it's great when the piece gets put into place, but I would be more concerned about coming up with like the perfect build order if, say, I was making my living from this. In that case, I am going to go as hardcore efficiency and lean as possible to figure out what's going to be the best for it. But I think as a uh, hobbyist woodworker, um, I just want to find what works best for me. And if that doesn't work for somebody else, well, so be it. But at the same time, as long as my end product can stand on its own, literally, I don't, I don't have to have it like, you know, <laughs> some strapping in there to keep it up against the wall or something. Uh, I don't think it really matters how we get there. Right. That is interesting. One last point, and Mark, you just said, you know, whatever it takes to get to the finish, literally, um, Getting to the finish, do you guys find that you prep your stuff for finish like before you assemble it? I know, Mark, you, you were actually the first person I ever saw that did so much pre-finishing. That was a totally foreign thing until I watched one of your videos. I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. kind of smart. <laughs> I still don't do it because I usually forget. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's, a, it's an I, easier it just, said than done thing for sure. Right. I mean, the, to me, the like taping off joinery in order to put finish on just sounds like work. So I generally <laughs> don't go that far. But do you, how much effort do you guys put towards finish ready um, at what stage? Do you just leave it all to the end and just whip out the random orbit sander and go to town or what? Yes. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. For me, when I'm, when I'm accounting for joinery, for instance, I need to cut something in there. I, a lot of times when it comes to joinery and things like that, I don't really want to have to remove much material after the fact. Yet I don't want that finish to be completely finish ready at 220 because I'm still going to be running tools over it, you know? So, so a lot of times uh, when a board, let's say I glue a panel together and that panel still needs something done to it, I will do what I call like a, a rough 
finish prep, a rough sanding so that everything is going to be nice and smooth and cleaned up, but it may only be sanded to maybe 120, 150, where it's not quite, I'm still going to have one round of treatment done to the surface. And and frankly, a lot of times it's it's not even sanding, it's my number 80 cabinet scraper that does the prep prior to uh, adding some joinery to it. And then at that point, I still feel comfortable adding a profile to the edge. Maybe you got to do some roundovers or something. I feel okay because I only have a light amount of work to do after that fact that won't impact the crispness or the the actual effect that you get from the roundover. You do that roundover too soon, and you got to let's say you do it while it's still very rough, then you're going to eat away part of that roundover. It's just not going to make any sense. So I do have this sort of like there's a point where the the pieces are just about f- done. They may need one little thing done with, a, you know, maybe a tongue on the end. You're doing a, a breadboard end on the panel or something like that. Um, I will do this pre-finished sanding uh, and still have one round of sanding after the milling is done. Um, mm. And then frankly, pre-finishing, that's something I really don't do all that often because it's when you're teaching people how to do it in the form of video, there's that uh, logical order of things. And when you're not really done building the project and you start talking about finishing it, like it, it just doesn't, it's hard for me to just stop, switch gears and go in the finishing mode when I still have building to do. Right. Especially if you don't have like a dedicated finishing room. Yeah. 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 There's still dust floating in the air. Yeah. yeah it's so it's a logical sense thing. That's hard for me to do, but there are projects like the more complicated the project is just think about finishing it in your imagination. How hard is that going to be to finish to get in that spot or to get you know, inside that little crevice there. Those are times when you probably should start to think, hmm, maybe I should do some pre-finishing on this. Maybe I need an HVLP gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even then, because if you got like, for instance, the blanket chest I'm doing, um, HVLP is great, but man, is it a, you know what, inside the box. You know, you've basically, you've got all these, uh, nothing but like barriers, top, side, under, in front. So there's so much, uh, you know, bounce back of your spray that it's nearly impossible to get a clean finish on the inside of a case without, I mean, there's tricks that you can do to get better results, but ultimately there's a ton of overspray bouncing all over the place. So it's, it can be very tricky. And sometimes on the inside of a case, it's easier to just do it by hand. Um, you know what I do? I just spray it to like within an inch of its life. And then I just always keep it full of blankets. <laughs> there you go. What's the inside? Always Shannon, keep you the don't books even on the shelf. <laughs> it's the inside. Who cares? Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm, the reason I asked this, because I'm still kind of caught way back at the beginning of this conversation about the whole putting off the glue up thing. And I think that's the key is I'm just like you, Mark. I, I know that if I get it finished ready, I'm going to screw it up somewhere along the line. Yeah. But for me, since I rarely, rarely use sandpaper these days, you know, it's obviously best for me to have a flat board that I can run a smoothing plane over. So if I assemble everything together and get it nice and dry fit, okay, now I'm ready for finish. Then I can pull it apart back to, you know, the flat board, hit it with a smoothing plane and then glue it up. And I think that's probably, I didn't think about it at the time, but that's probably exactly why I put off glue up to the last minute. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. (laughs) All right. Well, I hope we helped Sam. I hope we didn't confuse things more, but uh, that's, <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> you, you asked, and that's what we think about it. So, uh, yeah, so I think we'll do these a few more times in the future. I think it's fun to take a single topic and really give it a lot of love, some massaging, uh, give it a few special chortles, and send it on its way. 
Absolutely. Yeah, we definitely have a few more in the uh, in our email list here. So we have plenty of things to come to. But of course, a fresh topic is always nice, too. Mm-hmm. True that. All yeah, right. and, it, and it's a key point because some of these big question topics have been in our list for many, many months mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So if you don't if you don't ever hear your question, you don't get an answer to your question. Just think that's because I'm special. That's because I have provoked deeper thought. And I'll show up on a Wood Talk Deep Cuts in a future episode. Yeah, see? and as uh, as you know, we don't like to think too hard when we do the show. <laughs> yeah, so. so they get put off a long time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We want to pass it off to one of us and just go, yeah, I agree with you. That works for me. Yeah, exactly. Deep Cuts. I like that, Shannon. Nicely done. Appreciate that. I think we might have to use that. All right. Well, <laughs> thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See ya. about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.